It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The cost of ownership. The cost of ownership. Lord Moses prayed, Lord, would you go with us? Do not send us alone. How will any of the pagan nations know that we belong to you? Lord, would you teach us your ways that we may continue to find favor in your sight? In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. There he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it, to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called them, each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. That word man is Adam. For she was taken out of Adam. She was taken out of me. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. They will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I share this, this story of our parents for a reason. 
because now we need to go back and ask some questions. Most amazing, simple revelation came to me last time as I was just waiting before the Lord, looking. I've looked at the Garden of Eden again and again and again. It seems like the components of the Garden are so simple, but I've always missed something. There's always been a depth to what happened there where I said, Lord, I don't understand what happened. What, what did Adam do? We started in verse 16. The Lord commanded Adam not to eat from the tree. Eve had not even been created yet. As a matter of fact, a great period of time passed. After Adam was commanded not to eat of the tree, he began to name the animals. He was doing the work of the garden. Could have been years that had passed. Well, Adam was doing and searching for a suitable helper, and there was none to be found. Now, everything God does is organic. When he came and took that rib out of Adam, he didn't just flip a hatch and close it. No, there was a great wound and a great time of darkness and a time of healing that had to happen for Adam as God formed woman out of him. In the Hebrew, the word is ish. It means soft. Wow. It means soft. So there was now a softer side to Adam, one that he could be joined with. After this healing, the one thing that's always struck me about what Adam did is it says, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. In one sentence, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. That's it. How in one sentence, in one moment, could sin enter all of mankind just like that? No, that's never how sin happens. There's always steps towards sin. There's always contemplation that happens. There's always a walking into sin that happens. And we need to look at that today. Adam spent this time healing. God brought the softer version of himself, Ish, the woman to him. And he said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman for she was taken out of me. In Adam's heart, the first steps of sin began to happen as he began to make a declaration of ownership over his wife. I've heard many preach on this, and I've always been stumped, and I've never heard a good explanation when the serpent is speaking to Eve, you must not eat from the tree. Did God really say this? The woman said, oh, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it. That is not what God said. God did not say that. God commanded Adam, you are free to eat from the trees in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. That was the word of the Lord. There was nothing about, you must not touch it. So what happened during that period of time 
The word of God was not spoken to Eve. It was spoken to Adam. It was his responsibility to lead his family, to lead his wife, to speak the word of God to her, to be redemptive with her. But instead, he took a different position. I'll be restrictive with her. You know what? God said to me, if you eat of that, you're going to die. I'm just going to tell my wife, don't even touch it. Don't even go near it. And in Eve's heart, she rebelled. Because now her husband was ruling over her. It's very funny that after the Lord comes and pronounces judgment on Adam and Eve, he says, and now your husband will rule over you. Hey, guys, that's what you wanted. I'll give it to you. Isn't it funny how God gives us what we want? That was his judgment on Eve. And she's been in rebellion ever since, as Adam has. So we come to a place now where Adam began to take up ownership of his wife. And the judgments begin to fall. God's watching the process of sin begin to expand in the garden until finally the serpent comes. Now, when does the serpent come? Right after Adam's declaration, this woman is mine. I mean, the very next verses is, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, okay, nothing has changed since then. Why was Satan allowed to come and talk to Adam's wife? You think he had free reign to simply walk up to God's children and begin to sow confusion into their hearts? No, there was an open door. It was the cost of Adam's taking ownership, beginning to take ownership over his family and over his life. And now Satan was given free reign to come in and begin to sow confusions and lies into his family, into his children, into mom and dad, into... I mean, the door was open now. The next question I would ask is this. Why did Satan come and talk to Eve? Wasn't it Adam's sin? Come on, we've always said it was Eve's sin. I've seen the bumper sticker, Eve sinned. No, it was Adam's sin. I read this this time. I grabbed my head and I said, Adam, what have you done? What have you done? Why did the serpent speak to Eve and not Adam? I think there's a very important truth here that we all have to come to understand. God will make you responsible for other people. It doesn't have to be just your wife or your children. It could be your friends. It could be a total stranger. I know now that God makes me respond. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'll tell you a, a very painful story. When I was a, just beginning to become a Christian and understand the ordinances of God's covenants that I had to walk in to have the right to be called a Christian. 
without just claiming the name and being a pagan, what it was going to cost me. One of my dear childhood friends, I'd known since seventh grade, my best friend. See, the Lord told me to be redemptive with him. To be redemptive. There was, I was in the neighborhood one day and the Lord said, you go to his house. I didn't want to go to his house. We were separated at that time. I was following Jesus and he was following the devil. I did not want to go there. Why? I was ashamed of Jesus. I didn't trust him. It was costing me everything already. It was going to cost me my pride now too. Well, that day I... I drove by his house, I saw him, and I kept going. And I was so convicted, I turned around and go back, but he had left already. Well, I tell you, it was only days and weeks later that he was found slumped over his table in his house. His brain had exploded with a massive aneurysm from a drug overdose. I was responsible for his life. I had come into a covenant with God as each one of you are coming into a covenant with God to be a vessel of redemption, not restriction. Very shortly after that, the devil spoke to me. He came to me and said, I got him. I got him. He was always weak and I got him. And I'm going to get you, and I'm going to get this person, and I'm going to get this person. And he began to name the closest people in my life and said he was going to kill them. And he had already gotten one. I want you to know the real war of what this walk with Jesus is about. God calls us to be vessels of redemption, and he makes us responsible for others. The two others, dear friends from childhood, they're alive today. But they're alive today for only one reason. They're in rebellion. They're walking in darkness. The veil is over their hearts. I'll talk to them and they'll struggle with me. They'll fight with me. I mean, these are people I love. I've known them as closer than anybody. I was talking to one just a couple weeks ago as he's fighting with me because I always confront him with Jesus and I confront him with what he's doing with his life. And I'm telling him what the Lord has told me about his life, what he has to do to live or he'll lose his life. And he's fighting with me and he's struggling with me and I, I begin to laugh. I say, Chris, you know, every time you fight with me, I love you. See, I know you're not fighting with me. It's your fight with God. And he just stops. He says, yeah, it is, Dave. It's my struggle with Jesus. It's my rebellion. I said, I know. I love you. And I go on my way now. Do I intercede for them? Yes. Do I pray? Yes. It's why they're alive today. Do I do it every day? No. Now, why is that? 
because my life is a prayer. My walk with Jesus is a prayer that puts a covenant shield over their lives. If I begin to take the ownership back over my lives, I will get the message that they are gone and I will go and bury them. And I will know it's because their time of grace was either over or I broke my covenant with the Lord. So why did the serpent speak to Eve? Because Adam broke his covenant with God. Why is the serpent speaking to your children? Why is the serpent speaking to your husband? Why is the serpent speaking to your mother, your father, your brother, your sister? Where have you broke your covenant with God and their lives are being taken away? Because you would dare, dare to give up the ownership of your life and follow Jesus. Now, some might say, well, that's, that's quite a statement to make, brother. Well, let me show you in the scriptures. Isaiah, the 43rd chapter. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by my name. You are mine. A vessel of redemption. The promise goes on to say, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. I'll be at the health club. I'll be on the exercise bike. I want to be alone. I'm with Jesus. I'm in the spirit. Leave me alone. People will come and get on the bike next to me and just talk and talk. You know how hard it is to ride a bike for an hour and talk to somebody next to you? I mean, one workout's hard enough. And I'll begin to see their sin. And I'll begin to feel in my heart God's call on their life. And I begin to sense you're responsible for them. Begin to pray for, purify them from sin. Stand by faith that I'll purify them from the sin that you see in their heart. God's now making me responsible for another one that I now have to love and I have to speak to. And the Lord will send me back to the same place at the strangest times. And there they are. There they are. And it begins to happen everywhere. Because God is making you responsible for the salvation that he's given you. Job, the 22nd chapter. These are the conditions of one who would come into this grace for the salvation of others. Submit, verse 21, submit to God and be at peace with him. It's the first thing you have to do. You have to submit to God. In this way, prosperity will come to you. That's how you become prosperous. Accept instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. Read your Bible. Make a commitment. Do it. If you return to the Almighty, you'll be restored. 
if you remove wickedness far from your tent and assign your nuggets. Hey, we all have our nuggets. That's my nugget. I don't want to give that up. If you cast them into the dust, your gold of Ophir into the rocks and into the ravines, whatever they may be for you, your pride, your family, your job, whatever it is, whatever you're holding on to that says, if I don't have this, I will not be able to live. For some, it may be a cup of coffee. I don't know. Something that God is saying, will you give this to me? If you'll cast that into the ravine, it says, then the Almighty will be your gold. The choice is silver for you. Surely then you will find delight in the Almighty and you'll lift your face to God and you will pray. It's the next thing that happens is you're going to become a man or a woman of prayer. And everything in your life is going to flow out of your intercession and out of your, your walk with Jesus. What you decide on will be done. And light will shine on your ways. Whew. That sounds like authority from God. How does a man walk in that? When men are brought low and you say, lift them up. Then he will save the downcast. He will deliver even one who is not innocent. Who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. That's what God's calling for. So when I say these people are only alive now. These specific ones that Satan said, I'm going to kill them. They're alive based upon the cleanness of my hands because he wants to kill them because of me. So one way or the other, I'm responsible. Adam was responsible for Eve. What if Adam, when his wife came to him and said all these wonderful things, honey, this is good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. Here, I'm going to eat some. And Adam just goes, yep, give me a piece. No, Adam was already full-blown into his sin. He had already claimed ownership of his wife and of his family. And all he could do is flow right into the commission of sin now that got the judgment of God to be brought upon him and for them to be cast out of Eden forever until Jesus would come. Until Jesus would come. What if Adam would have said to Eve, no, honey, I'm not going to eat that. You're sinning against the Almighty. He loves you. What if he began to speak to her in a very straight but redemptive manner when all he was doing before was restricting her and all she was doing is saying, forget you. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not following you. See, Eve had already made a decision because of Adam's restrictions on her that he, she would not follow him. But it was Adam's responsibility before the Lord. Now, the issue here really is confusion. First of all, Adam's confusion and then Eve's. When Adam began to take ownership of his life, confusion began to move in. To where the command of the Almighty, now you have to understand, he knew God. 
He saw God. He walked with God in the cool of the day. And he still, red-handed to his face, broke the command of God and said, I'm going to follow the woman and not the Lord. Well, many men follow the woman and not the Lord and vice versa. The second issue of confusion is when Adam did that, he was confused about his place of leadership now. He was confused about how he could lead his wife in a redemptive manner. I believe if Eve would have eaten that fruit and Adam would have said no, he could have gone to the Lord God and interceded for her and sin would not have entered into mankind because the command came to him. This deal wasn't on Eve's shoulders, guys. It was on Adam. As a man, he did not lead his family. But when Adam sinned, confusion now came into Eve's heart because the serpent could now come and speak to her. I wonder today, is the serpent speaking to your wife, to your husband, to your children? Because there's a place of ownership you have decided to hold on to and say, this is mine. And all types of losses happening, and eventually their lives will be taken. It's only a matter of time. You know, there is a 100% mortality rate here, guys. It's only a matter of time. And he'll come to you and say, got him. I got him. Oh, yeah, and it was your fault. It was your fault. Many will hide in confusion like the bush that Adam hid in. It's very symbolic of Adam's confusion. See, it causes us to be able to maintain our lives. But it also blinds us from the glory and the peace that comes from living in Jesus. So you can say, oh, we'll let that brother walk with Jesus. Well, it's because your eyes are veiled. You don't know the peace and the provision. And I mean, that's what peace means. All provision of God in every manner, in every way, totally covered by the hand of God, overshadowed by the most high. So we hide in our confusion so we can hold on to what we think we have to have to survive, not understanding that it's only Jesus He has everything that we need to survive and to live abundantly and to be vessels of redemption for those who he commands us to take responsibility for. Who have you taken responsibility for before God? He won't ask you to do it until you take responsibility before him. You'll have no authority with darkness. It will kill you. We have a wonderful model of redemption in the Old Testament. It's laid out in Exodus. It's laid out in Leviticus. It's laid out in the ceremonial laws and the sacrifices. And there was a day of atonement. There was a time when Aaron, once a year, would make atonement for all of the the vessels, for the Ark of the Covenant, for the brazen altar, uh, for the... Uh, there was a table of showbread. There was a lampstand. There was a basin. 
And these were all looking forward to the cleansing process. First, we had to go through the brazen altar and lay our lives and let it be burned up, yeah? sacrificed to God before we could go and be washed in the basin by the water of the word, before we could come in to the holy compartment, not the most holy, but the holy compartment where the altar of incense was, where the prayers of the saints ascended to the throne of God. It was only until we got to that place where our prayers would be answered. And in that place was the uh, candelabra, the, the, uh, the lampstand with all of the olive oil burning on it, representing the light of the Holy Spirit. And I shining on that man who is. And then the last place to go was where the Ark of the Covenant was, where you went literally into the presence of God. That wasn't open for us until the veil between those two compartments were rent. When Jesus Christ was sacrificed and died at Calvary, it says that the veil in the temple was torn in two, symbolizing we could now go into that place. Well, in this model of salvation and redemption that the Lord was laying out in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement, Aaron would have to make atonement for the vessels. He would have to sprinkle the blood on them seven times. There was a, a goat that he would have to put his hand on and and confess the sins of the Israelites over that goat. And that goat, which was called the scapegoat, would be sent out into the desert. It says, he shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. It was Jesus. Jesus was the man appointed for the task to carry our sins to the desert. He died outside of Jerusalem in the desert. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or an alien living among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all of your sins. It's a Sabbath of rest, and you must deny yourselves. See, that's where we're called today. The Sabbath is a place of rest where you are clean from your sin. Where everything is provided for you. And that is what we're called to today. So I ask you today, is there any confusion in your heart about who Jesus is? Is there any confusion in your heart about what your responsibility before God is for friends, for family, for wives, for children. It was just said lately in this house, if you can't come into the church to be washed and cleansed from your sin, where can you go? Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to a Saturday edition of Pilgrim's Progress brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Christ. One goal.
the bar.